Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Out of the gates for hour number two. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. We are live from 6th and Peabody in Nashville. Yeehaw beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. It's the site of a massive Titans event, the the pep rally here in town uh, tomorrow, uh, one day ahead of their matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals. It is time for one big thing on every NFL game. A uh, quick reminder, we've got Armando Salguero, who will join us in 20 minutes. And then in the third hour, five massive questions that could ultimately determine the results of the divisional weekend. At least one big thing on every NFL game for the teams involved. We start, and we'll just go in order of the kickoffs, guys, and and chime in where you see fit and how you see things working out. Something to consider in the matchup for Tennessee and Cincinnati. Can a team that is so reliable on the explosive plays win a game against a team that is a better overall team than the Bengals? I do believe, and I think the majority of people would say, the Titans are a better team than Cincinnati. I also firmly believe the Bengals are totally capable of winning the game on Saturday because of what they do so well, and that's the explosive plays. Cincinnati had 21 non-red zone touchdowns this season. That's the most in the National Football League. 11 of their 52 touchdowns on offense were for 40 or more yards. They get after it. That is a they get after stunning it. number. The Titans have allowed 245 passing yards per game. And that is the eighth most allowed in the NFL during the regular season. So a lot of people are seeing that stat and they're thinking, okay, this doesn't add up well for the Titans' advantage Cincy. And it very well might be. It's been advantage Cincy in this category throughout the year. But the Titans have done a really nice job of not allowing the explosive plays. You know, they allow some chunk yardage, but not the 40-plus touchdowns. Those don't happen very often. You know, the, the last, I think the, the, the most explosive offense they would have faced throughout the course of the season, the most recent, were probably the Rams. Correct me if I'm wrong yep. on that. Because they, they beat the Chiefs and then they played the Rams and did a, did a nice job against that high-powered offense. Robert Woods still in the mix for that. Yeah, he was. Team. Last week against the Raiders, Joe Burrow pressured on 13 of his dropbacks. He was 5 of 11 on those 13 plays. He threw for a touchdown on one of those pressured throws. And can the Bengals linebackers take away the layup passes for Ryan Tannehill? A matchup to watch in this on, on play action for Ryan Tannehill is the inter- intermediate route across the middle. And a quick breaking route to A.J. Brown or to Ferkser or you know, maybe on third down, Hilliard. potentially Hilliard. Can, can the linebackers for Cincinnati take that away? Get the football back to their offense. And going back to your big play potential for Cincinnati and that being a factor, Paul, where did you say Cleet Blakeman's crew ranked in terms of uh, What's not his crew? Flags? Sixth. Well, That's the, the thing, well, though. It's Cleet, not his crew. Yeah, it's the all-star crew. But sixth, um, I could see pass interference deep down the field being a factor in this game uh, with the Titans and with Cincinnati's receivers. I think one of the more tried and true plays in the NFL is to throw it deep and when the receiver comes back to get the football, you get a cheap pass interference penalty. I could see two or three of those playing a factor in this game. Especially with the speed of Cincy. And especially with you know T. Higgins, who's 6'6", and guys getting physical with him down the field if they throw it up to him. I, I, could, see, I could see those being enormous plays in this game. Paul, what's the latest on Jackrabbit Jenkins? Good to go. No issue today? Well, Tier Tart is questionable, and that is it. So not on the injury report any longer. He was yesterday. Uh, I, I didn't look to see what he did today. Uh, everybody part. But he's playing. Yeah. He's no playing. injury designation, I think, is key there for Jenkins. 49ers and Packers. San Francisco goes to Dallas wins. They now turn around and they face Green Bay on the road at Lambeau, where the cold could play a factor in this. I mean, the... 
I've, I've heard somewhere, and I forgot the the overall stat, but if the if the temperature is below ten, it's normally a very low scoring game, home and away, and traditionally it's been advantage home team. It's certainly the case with San Francisco, although they have had a recent history of going to Green Bay and winning uh, in, in postseason matchups. Garoppolo, though, he has taken uh, uh, three snaps or has participated in three games where he took the end-of-game snaps in really cold weather. That was in New England. I don't believe he's done that uh, as the quarterback of San Francisco on the road anywhere. Um, Green Bay led this game 17-7 at halftime earlier this year. And there's been some talk about can Green Bay, if they jump out to an early lead, can San Francisco come back from that? San Francisco overcame the 10-point deficit at halftime and forced Green Bay to need a last-minute drive at Levi Stadium to win 30-28. to Aaron Rodgers completed some passes late to Devontae Adams. Uh, one of them was like 30 yards. The other was around 20 and it got into Mason Crosby field goal range, and he kicked the game-winning field goal as time expired. This was back in week three. Here's the thing about Aaron Rodgers, though. His final 368 pass attempts, one interception, 27 touchdowns. One interception in his final 368 pass attempts, 27 touchdowns. Meanwhile, Jimmy G has five interceptions in his last three games. And he's admitted that the thumb is, is playing a factor in some late-game throws as the games progress and that whatever injection he's doing for the swelling wears off. I'm assuming that's what's happening. And he's blaming it on the injury. He has at least one interception in all three games. And again, five combined over the last three. That's the, the devil's in the details there on can Jimmy G protect the football in cold weather. I don't know if there's a prop bet on this that you can make it fan duel right now, but I would go over two interceptions for Jimmy G. At least two interceptions this game. Cold weather, injured thumb, the fact he's been throwing picks recently also, I think there's going to be two big interceptions this game. Over one and a half or over two and a half? I'm saying two or more. Two plus. If there's a bet for two plus interceptions from Jimmy G, I would take that bet. See, I think they, I don't, that's a, if you put it at two and a half, I'm taking the under. I think two is the perfect number in this. One and a half. Um, which which team, maybe the answer comes down to this, which team best executes their pre-snap motion? San Francisco does it more than anyone with Shanahan. A lot of motion, especially on runs. Green Bay does it a lot, too. For all the discussion about Rodgers, they run the football at a higher clip than you may expect, and they use a lot of pre-snap motion prior to all of that. So which defense adjusts best to it? And D'Amico Ryan's defense in San Fran, they don't run a lot of man coverage because they're not good at it. But in the going back and, and watching some clips of the, the Week 3 matchup, Rodgers took full advantage any time they went cover one. It didn't happen often, but they exploited San Francisco's defense whenever he saw that look. Well, I think that's – I mean, you don't want to be in man against good quarterbacks. So if, if San Francisco's playing mostly zone, that bodes well. You want to mix in a little bit so it's not completely predictable, but all those good quarterbacks say – I mean, hell, Peyton talks about it every week on the Manning cast, how he wants man, man. I want man. For Sunday, we get things rolling. One thing for every NFL game, we start with the Buccaneers hosting the Los Angeles Rams. Matthew Stafford's road to the Super Bowl goes through Tom Brady and then, in all likelihood, Aaron Rodgers, where he could have to go through Mahomes or Josh Allen for the Super Bowl win for the Los Angeles Rams. It's, cr- it's quite the stretch with all of that. Uh, the Bucks faced the Rams back in week three, same week that we saw Green Bay and, and San Francisco earlier this year. L.A. jumped out to a 21-7 lead, never looked back. 34-24 ended up being the final score. Rams beat the Bucks. The Bucks were a, a week, that was the week before they went to Foxborough for Brady's return against the Patriots. Stafford was great against the secondary back in September. He started red hot, and that's whenever you heard all the discussion about, oh, he's the, he's, the pre, he's the early favorite for most valuable player. And then he went through some ups and downs and has thrown some recent interceptions, but was very good on his 17 attempts against the Cardinals. But I think they're going to need to run the football uh, and, and try to establish the run, but that's very hard to do. Philly was the best at it and couldn't do it. 
because the Bucks are the best at defending the run in the NFC. So I think we'll see. I won't be surprised to see Stafford come out and throw 28 attempts instead of 17. I think it's a much different type of game plan for L.A. against Tampa than what it was against Arizona. Probably. You still need something out of Michelle and Akers, um, some of which can come in the passing game. Well, yeah, we saw that. Uh, how many, you know, they had some some shots to Akers yep. where they got him wide open on some wheel routes. Which is a in miracle game. comeback. Um, I think this is going to be the best game of the weekend. I know everyone's going to point to Chiefs Bills. I, I think this will be the one that goes down to the wire. That is the best game of the weekend. The Bucks, how do they come up with a plan to protect Brady on the interior? They're banged up on the offensive line. The way to disrupt Brady throughout his career is to attempt, it's easier said than done, is to attempt to pressure him up the middle and give him get him on the move. LA can do that with with Aaron Donald, the best at it the most disruptive player on, on defense in the league. And then, you know, their, their defensive front, which they've, they've overhauled and, and added pieces next to, to Aaron Donald, both through free agency um, and, and through the, the trade deadline. But on top of that, the Rams have to come up with a way to cover the tight end. They are the 10th worst in the NFL on receptions to opposing tight ends. They give up 90 catches the tight ends this season. The outlet for quick passing could be Gronk in this game for Brady. So a matchup to watch linebackers against Gronk or a defensive back against Gronk in some cases, depending on where he lines up, because sometimes they'll even line him up outside. Uh, and then finally, it's it's a tough choice on best game of the week. And we had to start with a great one on Sunday, finish with an, all good. an outstanding matchup between the Bills and the Chiefs. Both quarterbacks passed for five touchdowns last week. The Chiefs, they they won 38-24 in the AFC Championship game a year ago against Buffalo. Buffalo turned around and blew out the Chiefs earlier this season back in week five. Buffalo won 38-20 in that game. Josh Allen threw three touchdown passes. The defense picked off Patrick Mahomes twice. I believe they returned one of those for a touchdown. If not, it was very close to one. And... That was also a game where they forced Mahomes to attempt 54 passes. Chances are, if your quarterback's throwing 50-plus, you're not winning unless you're the Bucks or Brady when he was in New England, where they could choose run or pass, game plan to game plan. Brady's exceptional at winning games when he throws for 50 or more. Most of the time, the rest of the league is really bad at it. And they forced Mahomes to throw at 50-plus, and they put up 20 points in that game. I, I don't know how you guys feel about it, Mahomes is much better right now than what he was back in week five when he was going through the interception discussion and we everyone was writing off Kansas City. He's thrown, what, 17 touchdowns to two interceptions over his last six games. Excellent. Josh Allen. No one was better than Josh Allen last week in the wildcard round. Can Melvin Ingram and Frank Clark and Chris Jones, can they rush Josh Allen but at the same time Keep him contained. Can you find a cage rush with Josh Allen and pressure him into making uh, making quick decisions and quick throws? Because last week, he had plenty of time. Seems like the guy that has more game-to-game fluctuation when you're in the Mahomes-Allen conversation is Allen. Uh, though Mahomes had, had that bad stretch earlier in this season. Question for you guys. Was it $49 million were the amount of people that watch Cowboys 49ers or $40 million? 41, I think it was, it was 41 40, and a half. 41 and a half million. Do you think more people watch Buffalo, Kansas City Sunday afternoon? No. Or will the Cowboys the week before in the wild card round? I think this is going to pass that. I don't. I think the it quarterbacks should. in this game, quarterbacks head to head, the fact that we are now a, a, a week later where it's getting down to the nitty gritty, I think that this is going to be a huge number for this game. I don't think it'll pass Cowboys. The Bills, they, should. they can take over the game. Their defense, I mean, they allow the fewest yards, fewest points, um, and that's for any conference. That's league-wide. And they, they had a nice plan for Mahomes the first go-around. Look, I'm in love with the Bills off of what they did last week. But I think I'm doing a poor job of removing the Patriots element. <laughs> and the Patriots uh, didn't, didn't put up enough resistance in that game 
to score it as highly as we're scoring it, right? It's hard not to be just hypnotized by what the Bills did last week because they were in utter control. But how much resistance did we see from the Patriots? It's not the Patriots element you're removing. It's the Chiefs element. I mean, the Chiefs, I know it was Pittsburgh. I'm I'm inserting the Chiefs element. They blew out their opponent also. I mean, it wasn't as impressive as what we saw Buffalo against New England, but it's not like they had a lot of problems uh, in their game. They were expected to win going away, and they won bigger than even expected uh, in that game. I just think it's two great teams going head to head. were much... It's still more impressive. They were the most impressive. Like Hutt came in saying, it was our lead out of the thing. Buffalo would have beaten anybody last weekend. And it's hard for me, with the recency bias and everything, not to see them picking up where they left off. I'm trying to talk myself down from that. And based on what all these teams could do, potential, I will also argue that New England was the second least impressive of anyone play-wise next to Philadelphia, who was awful. Yeah. I mean, that they were. I think Pittsburgh was what they were in that game. They probably reached their potential and got blown out the third by worst. Kansas City. So I think we also have to factor in the fact that New England was really bad. Kansas City, Kansas City was impressive in the wild-card weekend. The reason Buffalo was more impressive is Buffalo did it for four quarters. Kansas City put up their points over a span of ten and a half minutes off the clock. They... they, they showed up in spurts against the Steelers' defense. Buffalo did it in December against New England. They then turned around a handful of weeks later, three weeks later, and did it again to Bill Belichick. Against a division rival and Bill Belichick, so maybe I shouldn't score it down. The first time trying, he's ever like trying to. He's ever um, not been able to force a punt defensively happened in December in the regular season, and then Buffalo did it to him again. Like that... The, it's not the fact that they did it to New England. It's that they went about it the same way and had the same two, type of result. Two fantastic wins over a division rival in a short span after losing to them in the weird weather game. And there's an, the other reason for the optimism in the AFC right now with Kansas City um, and, and the Chiefs being a part of this, I think we also have to fact it. Like, I, I'm upset with myself for not looking at the matchup that we just recently saw with New England and then betting the house on Buffalo, thinking that they were going to be the easiest cover of the weekend, knowing the matchups that we saw. Well, we've seen Kansas City match up with the three remaining AFC teams, and they lost all three games. They lost to all three remaining AFC teams. So I don't know how you don't look at Buffalo and think that they can clearly go into Arrowhead and win. Yeah, they can. There's no doubt. I'm picking Kansas City to win, but... That would not surprise me at all if Buffalo won that game. I'm picking Buffalo to win, but I don't feel great about it. Well, and that's the Mahomes factor. And we saw the Texans and the Titans beat Mahomes in 2019, and then Mahomes and that offense absolutely smoked them in the postseason. Played both opponents again in the second go-around, had their number completely. Coming up, Armando Salguero will join us. We'll jump back into all of the divisional round matchups, get his take and preview even in more depth all four matchups that kick off on Saturday. Armando Salguero of OutKick next on OutKick 360. Armando Salguero, our guest on OutKick 360. You can read his work at OutKick.com, senior NFL writer, and columnist covers all the games and all the divisional matchups that are set to take place this weekend. Armando, hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, guys. I'm doing outstanding. I'll be better this weekend once the games begin because then I'll be, you know, in the zone, so to speak. There is not a bad game to watch. It never is in the divisional round. So much at stake. Every team is legit. You know, they've most have made their way through at least one playoff game and won their way in. Which team are you looking forward to watching the most based off what you saw from wildcard weekend? I just love watching Joe Burrow and the Bengals because uh, at their best, they're going to score 30 points a game. They're just so explosive on offense, but at their best, they're going to give up 30 points a game. And so who knows what's going to happen when the clock strikes zero, it's going to be one of those things where, They play a lot, I think, of and have played this year a lot of high-scoring games. And 
I kind of like that. What can I tell you? I've dismissed this for years, Armando, and, and told people here to not worry so much about what national media say and all of that. There's some things to be in a small market and, and a new franchise in Nashville. But it really is a palpable sense. You know, a lot of analytics people have written about this team being the worst number one seed ever, et cetera, et cetera. Cincinnati's the young up-and-comer. Um, people nationally just don't seem to have any feel for this team. They say, Mike Vrabel's interesting, but Derrick Henry's a great running back coming back from the injury, but there's never a uh, – that's a good team and – what is it about this franchise you think that that makes it the case right now? They win with things that are hard to measure, Paul. They win with uh, intangibles. They win with guts. They win with um, hard-nosed football. They don't win with the obvious, you know, a thousand yard receiver and 90 catch tight end and four 4,500 yard quarterback and the guy with 15 sacks, they do it with an actual team. And when that happens, and, and by the way, very good coaching and great discipline. And when that happens, it's hard for, I would say it's a failing of the national media. It's hard for reporters to grasp on and say, this is the reason the Tennessee Titans are good, or this is, this is what makes that team. They can't just point to one thing. And so I think that that is why the Titans are a bit of an enigma nationally, but people like you who see them every day um, understand that they're going to be a tough out. They're going to be a tough out. They were a tough out with Derrick Henry during the regular season for eight games, uh, with or without Julio Jones, with or without A.J. Brown, with or without offensive linemen coming in and going out. What did they have? 50 – how many players did they use this 91. It, it was a, a, a crazy number – that should not be allowed of a number one seed. It doesn't, those two things don't go together. And yet the team overcomes the individual star in Nashville. That's a very good answer. We should package that and pass it out. Well, here's the, I mean, here's another part of it, just looking at that game and looking at these divisional playoffs. Of the eight starting quarterbacks remaining, is Ryan Tannehill the worst of those quarterbacks? And, it, and is that part of this? When you look at the Titans' makeup and what you know, media thinks of the Titans now moving forward. So, yeah, I wrote about that as it pertained to the AFC, and as far as the AFC is concerned, unquestionably, uh, yes. Well, I mean, the answer is pretty clear. If you were having a quarterback draft tomorrow, uh, who is not the you know he's not the first guy taken, he's not the second guy taken. He's the fourth guy taken, except there's only four guys. So I just think that quarterbacks, there's three kinds of NFL quarterbacks, right? So there are because of quarterbacks, there are in spite of quarterbacks, and there are with quarterbacks. Some quarterbacks you win because of them. Some quarterbacks you win in spite of them. Some quarterbacks you win with them. I think Ryan Tannehill is a with. Um, you know, he's, he's okay. He's good. Some days he's really good. Some days he's not so okay. Uh, but the other guys who are in the AFC playoffs, Patrick Mahomes uh, is a because of quarterback. Josh Allen, we know he's a because of quarterback. And I think more and more people understand that the Cincinnati Bengals are they're, they won their division and they advanced in the playoffs past the division, past the uh, wild card round. Was it because of their, you know, Trey Hendrickson? No, I think it was Joe Burrow. He's a because of quarterback. And so if that's what makes Ryan Tannehill the worst quarterback in the AFC right now, then, then he is. 
maybe the only team similar to that structure and style is San Francisco, and they're on the road taking on Green Bay with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, and a lot of people don't believe in him either. Uh, Armando, do is there a better team at utilizing their best player more than the way San Francisco and Shanahan utilizes Debo Samuel? Is it Cooper Cup in L.A.? Like, Is there another team that takes their best player and figures out a way to get them the football at all costs? Debo Samuel is a stud, and this is the reason that he is a stud. He is a wide receiver. He plays a diva position that doesn't love contact, except that he thinks like a running back, and he loves contact, and he loves to block. Uh, and by the way, he's not the only one on that team. And so that team has, they're very similar, like you said, to, to the Titans in that they're a badass team. They're just a bunch of badasses. And it, oftentimes that makes up for their lack of overall, not overall talent, but overall star power. And they do have some stars on that, on that team. George Kittle, I think we can all agree is a star, right? Um, so Debo Samuel has in that it, 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 within that that team structure he's a he's a very good wide receiver but don't but if you're going to try to tackle him he's not the run out of bounds guy he's the run up your you know craw guy and that's what makes him really really uh impressive seems highly unlikely the Rams are going to be able to run the way they ran against Arizona do you think they're capable of going to Tampa Bay, shifting into a different mode, and Stafford doing what it will probably take to knock off the defending Super Bowl champs? Yeah, so we're back to the because of and the spite <laughs> of and the with. with guys. I always thought that Matt Stafford was going to eventually be, be a because of but kind of quarterback, but he's mostly been throughout his career a with and – oftentimes not enough of a whiff. Um, can they run on the Bucks? The Bucks are one of the premier run-stuffing teams in the NFL when healthy. So are they going to run on the Bucks? I don't think so. The Bucks are not very good in the secondary. They, you know, they have more personnel now than they did in the middle of the season and late in the season because they're on the field, but they're not a hundred percent. And so they can be had in, you know, on the back end. The the thing about that is <laughs> soaking the Rams. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, you know, uh, with the exception of maybe one guy. Um, and so uh, the long winded answer to your question is, can the Rams throw on the Bucks? Yes, Paul. Can they run on the Bucks? Unlikely. Can can the Bucks protect Brady with how banged up they are up front? Uh, you know, the, the the key with Brady over the years, and we've seen the Titans try this here in Nashville over the years, and we've seen other teams try to do it against New England. Try to pressure him up the middle, get him off the spot, get him on the move. The Rams have the ability to do that, even with a healthy Buccaneers offensive line. Now that they're so banged up. How do you see this game going in the trenches? Um, I see Leonard Fournette finally playing. Uh, I thought he was going to play last week, and he didn't. And I think that that creates a little uncertainty that will help in part to protect Tom Brady and also give him a quick uh, option for, you know, the quick passes, the checkdowns. Tom Brady is, you know, he has always been a great passer, great arm, never gets tired, very accurate. But Tom Brady is perhaps the most patient quarterback I've ever seen. He doesn't mind seven-yard checkdowning you to death. And, you know, for many years in the AFC East, teams would scoff at Tom Brady for doing that as the Patriots were winning 14 games and 17 consecutive division championships. 
And those teams would lose twice a year to Tom Brady. So don't underestimate, get rid of the ball quick, Tom Brady. And if Leonard Fournette finally gets back, that's going to be a big plus on his side. Do you think it also comes down to, in this matchup, Brady to Evans must be more productive than Stafford to Cup? <laughs> I, I, You know, I'll say this. If the Los Angeles Rams are going to decide to cover Mike Evans one-on-one, I'll take Mike Evans over Cooper Cup seven days a week. He's just that guy. He's just better. And I get it. Cooper Cup, brilliant player, um, you know, tons of, of stats um, and all that. But Mike Evans is a beast. And he, he cannot be covered by another person on this planet one-on-one. And so my my question would be with the with the Bucks, will the Bucks, you know, go with uh, with single coverage there, or are they going to double him and ask Jalen on the other side to single whoever's over on the other side? Armando Salguero, our guest. You can read his work at OutKick.com. Are the Buffalo Bills ready to go on the road through Arrowhead and beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs' offense? So I'm going to give you a preview of the OutKick game of the week. Uh, story that I haven't even written yet. So you you remember how, um, well, you guys are kind of young, but the Steelers were good in the 70s, guys, let me tell you. And the Raiders were good in the 70s, just, just letting you know. Um, and those two teams were after each other, and they formed this rivalry that had no real reason for being, other than the fact that, Each one of those knew every year that if they wanted to get where they wanted to be, they had to go through the, you know, either Oakland or Pittsburgh. And what we're seeing with Kansas City and Buffalo now, they've played four times, I think, in the last two or three years. And each time it's a bloodbath and each time it's for, you know, something important. I'm getting that vibe from Kansas City, Buffalo, uh, that once upon a time the NFL had with, you know, Chuck Knoll and John Madden and Ken Stabler and Terry Bradshaw. So on your beast meter that we just talked about uh, with Mike Evans versus Cooper Cup, uh, Stefan Diggs versus Tyree Kill versus Travis Kelsey. If we're looking at a beast of a receiving option for Mahomes and Allen going into this game, I'm guessing you're taking the two options with Kansas City, but what do you think about that matchup? No, uh, well, I, thankfully for the the Bills, they don't go at each other. Uh, True. Because, yeah, right? And so, you know, so Travis Kelsey, if, if he's not the best tight end in the AFC right now in the playoffs, who is? Um he is he is a difficult difficult cover. Tyree Kill, he can be he can be schemed, and I know it took defenses a while to figure that out, but they figured it out. And you know Tyree Kill is still great and a, and awesome, and he is you know a cheetah in on two legs, but he can be schemed. And what I mean by that is contained by how you play him. Travis Kelsey can't be contained by how you play him because he beats, you know, you put two guys on him and he'll win. And that is a certainty. And in that regard, Stefan Diggs uh, doesn't, I don't know that he's a big beater of two guys all the time either. So of those three guys that you mentioned, Travis Kelsey is the is the one that kind of um, tilts the the weight in Kansas City's favor. High scoring affairs. You mentioned the times that they've matched up. Thirty eight twenty was the final score earlier this season where Buffalo won that game. The over under right now in Vegas is fifty three and a half points. 
which is surprising to me. Do, do you see this game as more likely being around 70 or below 50? Temperature. <laughs> I see a high-scoring game, despite how well the defensive have played. Well, you got one quarterback that threw five touchdown passes last week against another quarterback who threw five touchdown passes last week and had those five touchdown passes in the context of four incompletions in the entire game. That was Josh Allen. So if you're betting, you know, if you're thinking that it's going to be a high-scoring game, that means you saw the games last week. You're a smart man. I get it. Well, Vegas, totally... Vegas saw it too. Yeah, and, you know, they like to win money. They like to make money. So I would say be careful because <laughs> there's going to be points scored. There will be points. That, that Yes, there will. 53 and a half, Chad. There will be points. Um, I would take the over I would personally. Go over. But – this is again uh, the cold. The cold is the only thing that scares you at all with that. I would think it was cold last week. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. cold last week. So much- in, in today's game, great offense beats great defense. Uh, I I would take. I, I would go over. I, I would say, as far as the the climate and the cold, it, Paul, uh, can we agree? It's not that. It's wind. Yeah, and sleet and. Yeah. and kind of thing i mean these guys they're you know the, even their fans are idiots they come it's 20 degrees out and they come out shirtless and how they, about they your guy out. ryan fitzpatrick was there in buffalo <laughs> did he have a shirt on no he did not well, it looked like i it. hope so <laughs> trust me you don't want to see ryan fitzpatrick shirtless <laughs> Oh, it's got a, sec- no, it's a like, second beer. It's like watching a bear walk through the locker room. It's like, we had him here. We know Armando said bear walking through your locker room. We had him here. Everyone listening is like, yeah, he played for our team, played everywhere. Armando Salguero has been our guest uh, and a great follow on Twitter. It's very easy. Just search his name. You can also search him at outkick.com. All the coverage there, and you could go read his work, including the column he's writing on Chiefs and Bills. Armando, thank you as always. We'll catch up next week to preview all the conference matchups. It's always my pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. Armando Salguero, our guest each and every Thursday on Outkick 360. Coming up, some other headlines, news you can use across the sports landscape today, and then we get to a big discussion on Joe Burrow and the impact he's having on the Cincinnati Bengals. That's all coming up on Outkick 360. Five big questions for the divisional playoffs. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody, Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, and our entire crew. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick 360. If you were watching during the break, you saw Hot Dog Cam, or at least I think you did, with uh, Chad Withrow. I think they just uh, they, they took some video. I don't think they played it oh, live. Okay. I well, saw the break. Oh, I demand live. But I know they were they were he they devoured were a hot dog. Yep. How was it? I mean, look, daddy's dogs every time delivers. I'll show you who your I, daddy is. I got <laughs> the old boss used to say. I got the lone wolf, and it was terrific. Five big questions for the divisional round, guys. We we go rapid fire here. Um, and it puts in perspective what's at stake this weekend where every single game and every team represented uh, legitimately you can make a case for why they'll why they'll win. Let's start with this. Which head coach has the most to gain this this playoff run or even with a win moving forward, which has the most to lose? Well, uh, I mean, I think the obvious answer is Zach Taylor most to win. It, Third season, fourth season? Third. Third season, you go to AFC uh, championship game. As a Cincinnati Bengal, uh, it doesn't happen there. They haven't won a playoff game in 31 years until last week. Then you win two um, and go to the championship game. at a massive deal. It raises him to a new echelon. uh, Starts to dull the, oh, you knew um, McVay. Uh, you you were once in a room with McVeigh jokes, uh, legitimizes him on his own, all all of that. Um, I think it does wonders for him. Wouldn't, I think, I wouldn't think, hurt Shanahan either. What about Vrabel? 
Well, see, that's a, pretty damn solid. I, I, I know. I, that's my answer. There. Who has the most to gain versus who has the most to lose? It's Mike Vrabel. Uh, Mike Vrabel in three years would go AFC Championship, uh, first round playoff, Super Bowl. Pretty good three years. And uh, Mike Vrabel's also probably going to be your NFL coach of the year right now, as is. Uh, but I'm looking at everyone. I, I think Mike Vrabel has a chance to solidify himself as not just the NFL coach of the year, but one of the best coaches in the we game. We're saying Super Bowl or winning this Well, weekend? just uh, the coach that has the most to gain just in the playoffs right right now. I, I, I would think it could, it could be Taylor. Taylor's not a bad answer in all this. Uh, it can be Vrabel if they go on a run. And the reason why I say if they go on a run, Vrabel is the, he's the non-analytic coach that's still coaching right now. Everybody else in the analytics community. I think he uses them more than we think. I think he just quietly doesn't tout quietly, them. Doesn't he doesn't tout them and stand at the podium and, and discuss these numbers. And See, I think Vrabel's secure as hell. Well, Vrabel's going to coach the team fine. for a long time. He's going to get a big raise after this season. Uh, he doesn't yeah. need That's fair. playoff success here for anything. And so you know, I, I think I, we Taylor will be. Taylor could get fired in two years if he loses this game and things go south quickly. I, I think we will be unanimous on who has the most to lose. Matt Lafleur. Matt Lafleur loses this game, he's going to get labeled as strictly a regular season coach. Couldn't maximize it with one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Uh, look at all those regular season Rogers wins: on thirteen, his way out. thirteen, and thirteen, and it didn't mean a damn thing. Yeah, to to accomplish the first round bye and then not reach the pinnacle with Rodgers and that team after being a game short of the Super Bowl last year, to me it's a unanimous decision on most to lose a million percent. It would be Matt LaFour. I think he's got to not just be in the Super Bowl. He's got to win it. I think it's no doubt that it is LaFleur because it is going to be seen as, uh, after a year ago, the way things ended for Green Bay, it will be seen as his fault. Uh, if they were to lose early in these playoffs. And God forbid it come with a bad decision, like the field goal. Is run defense quietly the most important factor in all four games? We, we're spending a lot of time on the matchup for the Titans and Bengals and run defense. But if you start to look across these matchups, so let's just go in order. You've got Derrick Henry against the Bengals run defense as one of the keys. San Francisco and Green Bay are both going to run the football, especially San Francisco. And early in the, it, we mentioned, you know, pre-snap motion is, is some things to watch. This is this is one of those areas in in that game where run defense comes to play a big factor, despite everything that Rodgers can do through the air with Adams. Um, on uh, games on Sunday, Cam Akers and the the great job and the the mentality that he the aggression that he was running with a week ago uh, against Arizona, now going against the top-run defense of Tampa Bay. And then can Kansas City take away Josh Allen's run lanes? You know, let's, let's focus on what Allen's capable of for Buffalo's run game. And if they take away Allen, does that make Singletary a non-factor in the matchup on Sunday? I, I don't know, like, the framing of the question. To me, it's so situational and, uh, and game-specific. And you can frame it so many different ways. Like Cincinnati's the fifth best overall run defense. But they're giving up the 13th highest run average. Yeah, they don't face many carries. Yeah, and so it doesn't make a lot of sense. They had eighty uh, seven games where they gave up 86 rush yards or less. But they have seven games where they gave up 103 or more. Four of those, they gave up 142 or more. So are they a good run defense? The answer is some days they're a really good run. Well, defense. I'm not framing it as is it about good run defense. I'm framing it as for the season. I'm framing it as is it an un, the most underrated key for all four games. If Cincinnati stops the Titans despite not being great at stopping the run, no matter where they're ranked, that's the reason why they'll win. Well, I think it's really big for Cincinnati. Yeah, I don't think it's as big. I don't think it's. Uh, let's put it this way. To your question, Hunter, I don't think it's underrated for Cincinnati because it's the key of the game for them. But when you go into other games, yes, it's probably an underrated factor in the game. For instance, like you, you brought up Kansas City against Buffalo and Josh Allen's ability yeah, to run. There it is an underrated key for Kansas City. I don't think it's underrated at all that Cincinnati needs to contain Derrick Henry. 
uh, in this game. So I think it's game to game when you look at it. But to answer the question, absolutely, it is an important factor in all four games this weekend. If Singletary's good, Buffalo probably wins. And he's been okay. I mean, he's yeah, been he's hovering around to 80 to 100 yards a game you pair over that the last with month. What, you pair that with what Allen does, and you've had yeah, a if good If you can get 30 or 40 yards from Allen, then that they're humming. Um, easy to have a bias here in Nashville, covering this on a daily basis. And I understand the 30,000-foot view of, of the Titans. But are the Titans actually the least respected team in these playoffs, given the fact that they're the number one seed, the columns – and uh, the, the write-ups on this team are more about them being the worst number one seed that we've ever seen than what they've accomplished despite who they did not have on their roster. Are they, the, in fact, the least respected? Why or why not? By fans, by media? Just every, all-encompassing. Yes. By fans and by media, they're the least respected, for sure. I don't think by football people. I, I, I agree respected. with you there. I, I was going to say there's people, two answers to this question. They're highly respected, I think. But for the way they've gone about things, for the culture that they've built, for their ability to do it uh, differently, for their ability to operate quietly and in the background, which I think people are kind of jealous of. Fan-wise, I mentioned it with Armando, you know, Titans fans for years when the Titans didn't deserve a lot of respect, harped on the disrespect, disrespect, disrespect too much, where I, I told them over and over, don't, don't care so much about what national people think. This week, I think it's real and it's a fair, a fair complaint. The fastest path to end it is right here, though, for the team. Win this game, then, then you're hosting the AFC Championship. You win that one, you really shut people up. There's also a path here to amplify. Get beat by the Cincinnati Bengals after you had the number one seed. All those analytic stories about being the worst number one seed and all of that, all, of the, all those people retweet them. Hey, in case you missed this last week, here's what I said ahead of the Titans' loss to the to the to the Bengals um that's it I think everybody says I like Mike uh, I like uh Kyle Shanahan and I like um so-and-so and and they say I like Mike Vrabel but I can see I, yeah I can see where I see where you're we going get that there. impression absolutely so uh fans and media without a doubt they are the least respected team by fans and media. And I don't know that there's a close second that's left playing of these eight teams. Of, I mean, just just watch how media gushes over Kyle Shanahan. And I think Kyle Shanahan's a good coach. And McVay. Yeah, the talent of the Rams. And then the McVay factor. I mean, go down the list. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Tampa Bay. It's Tom Brady. No one's going to disrespect Tom Brady at this point. So, yes, media and fans, no doubt. Titans are the least respected. But, Paul, I'm with you. I think if you pulled the great teams that are left, you know, Kansas City, who everyone would say, fans, media, great teams, Kansas City, Buffalo, Green Bay, Tampa, football people, there is no disrespect to the Titans and how they go about winning. And the answer, So I think there's two different answers. The answer is not as easy as, oh, they're, they're the least respected because of the small market. The Titans are the largest market remaining in the AFC. That I mean, it's not small market crazy. syndrome. They're the, they're the largest NFL market remaining in the AFC. That's so, a great point. You're the first one I've heard say that. That needs amplification. So Nashville now is officially bigger than Kansas City? They're the 25th rated market among the 32 teams, and the other teams are below them. I was having uh, this conversation. Buffalo's last, by the way. I was having this conversation with my wife driving through Kansas City. I think she asked, is Kansas City bigger or smaller than Nashville? And I'm looking at the downtown thing. You know, it's a good question. I think it may still be a little bit bigger, but and it's not. That that's a great that's a great fact. When I read that, I read that over the week. Um, I'll try to pull it during the during the commercial and give them credit for it. But the uh, it's one of these analytic sites that that's pointing to all the television ratings. Um, guys, question uh, number four: four of the six games last weekend, legitimate blowouts, like not even close. What are we going to see this week? No blowouts, and we can we can discuss what we mean by that. Or multiple, like multiple double-digit type finishes this weekend. What's more likely, based on the trends we've seen throughout the regular season? Which game is the most likely matchup to end in what we would term an NFL blowout? We're going to get at least one blowout this weekend, and it's going to be the Packers over the 49ers. 
I think the 49ers had all of the luck they're going to get in that win over the Cowboys. Uh, I think the Packers and Aaron Rodgers completely outclassed them. If I'm picking a game that's going to be a blowout, I think Green Bay wins by two or three touchdowns Saturday night against San Francisco. I think that's the obvious answer. That's the one I would say, but I'm not going to say it. I think three out of four will be close. I don't know which one won't be. I think they're all fantastic games. I, I think I Green Bay-San Francisco is a dogfight. I think this I is a too. defensive battle. I think both offenses struggle early in this game. At cold, uh, Green Bay is going to want to run it uh, and run it heavy. I think San Francisco's built for that. I'm I'm intrigued to see what they can do in their run game with you know the the conditions. And then Garoppolo's got the thumb problem. Um, I, I again, I I think San Francisco's defense can hang with Green Bay, and I'm basing that off of what we saw earlier this season. Green Bay four, jumped out to a, a 17 point advantage, 17 seven at halftime earlier this year. And they were able defensively to make enough adjustments to allow their defense, to allow their offense to get back in it. Green Bay won, and they gave up some plays late. 30-28 was the final on a game-ending kick by Mason Crosby. I think four great ones is just too much to ask. Maybe I, I'm, uh, I don't want to mess with the football guy. Well, if I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ride my uh, blowout calling hot streak of one <laughs> where I called I mean, Tampa destroying Philly last week, and I'm going to tell you that once again, Green Bay will roll San Francisco Saturday night. Hey, quick note, guys. Uh, this coming down from Richard Deitch. Uh, Charles Davis out of the Cincinnati Titans broadcast. Trent Green in COVID protocols. Mm. Downgrade. If I, going back to the, the blowout, if I had to pick a blowout, and I'm, I think they're all close, the blowout is Tennessee over Cincinnati. I, and the reason for that is the trio. Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, and then Tannehill quarterback. You've only seen 120 snaps of that. How do you prepare? Downing has a chance now to throw some wrinkles in with that personnel that no one defensively has seen all year. And he's had a week to prepare for it. There, if he's done his job right, there should be some wrinkles. And the wrinkles don't have to be big. They could be formationally. But just something that you haven't shown with the personnel you had because you couldn't do it, you now can with your full arsenal. And if the Titans come out and play their game and Burrow and, and company turn it over a couple times, this could easily be a double-digit spread. So you're not you're saying all four games will be close, but if you had all, to pick one, you think it's I, Titans. I think the easiest one for me to talk myself into is Titans-Bengals of the, of, of the four matchups uh, based on how I see the strengths of all the teams. Titans don't blow people out. Well, I mean... Just they blew my, out my Buffalo and Kansas thing. City. Yeah, but you know what I'm I'm getting at. They haven't they haven't lately. The Titans did not blow out Buffalo this year. No, they have in the past. They blew out they blew out Kansas City. It was a long time ago though. They blew out the Rams. They tend to get oh to, the Rams. Yeah. yeah, they tend to to play close. It's it's kind of the, the a feature of their style of play. And if they get leads early, they really unfortunately turn it off in the second half um and and tend to say okay we've got this and then let the other team hang around too much certainly what they did in Houston when they had a big lead and then let Danny Amendola come back and get him I hope for Titans fans sake it's the case I like all close games all drama I'll take all the drama I can get the other one could be Rams and Bucks and just thinking about how the Rams match up and the firepower they have versus the short passing game of Tampa and the fact that Fournette's coming back and they've got to have him. I'll take that one as my potential blowout. Rams upset. For years, all the pressure was on Peyton Manning. And w would he get one? And then, okay, can he get the next one? And he finally did. He got it in Denver on his way out. And it, it, I wonder... Been the question going into the divisional round as we see him for the first time, is Rodgers in that territory? Is the same type of buzz around Aaron Rodgers about can he go get another one with the Green Bay Packers considering that this is the third straight year that they've won, what, 12 or more, 13 or more games? 13, three years in a row, I think. The standard seems to me to have changed. 
There seems to be no public pressure or outcry. There never was to me on Favre either. These two Green Bay quarterbacks, excellent, but they've never faced this crushing pressure that Manning, and I'm trying to think of somebody else that faced a lot of pressure before his second. Roethlisberger's came in relatively short order. Um, Eli's came in relatively short order. So I, I, I don't know that there's a comp. But I don't feel like Aaron Rodgers faces that pressure to go get the second one. It's as if people say he's been so good that with or without the second ring, he's been so good. I think that there should be more pressure on Aaron Rodgers because he's been with the Packers his entire career and he only has one to show for it. I think what Peyton Manning did was far more impressive in that he had the bad injury he goes to Denver, he kind of reinvents himself, and he has a record-breaking season where they don't win it, and then he ends up winning it as kind of a game manager yeah. right at the end of his career where he's clearly not himself, and they've got a great defense. But winning a Super Bowl with two different franchises, very impressive. We've seen Tom Brady now win multiple Super Bowls with one franchise and one with another one. And here's Aaron Rodgers, an all-time great, a t- top-five quarterback all-time probably by the time he retires, and he's got one Super Bowl playing in Green Bay, Why is one of the more? preeminent organizations in all of sports for the entirety of his career. I don't, I'm with you, Paul. I don't sense the outward pressure on him or even the inward pressure. There should be a lot of pressure on him, though. This is big for him. This is big for his legacy to get a second Super Bowl. And he's going to be a Hall of Famer no, no matter what. He's an all-time great. I'm not disputing any of that. But for him to truly be what I think Aaron Rodgers should be at the end of his career and most people that follow football would say, for him to be, he needs another Super Bowl. He needs to pass Brett Favre. He needs a second Super Bowl. This is the season to do it. Well, that organization needs a second win with him based on how successful they've been through stretches. I mean, I I think he feels – I think he puts the pressure on himself to do it. You know, there's a chip on his shoulder there. Well, I I think – it's not talked about a ton right now because at the same exact time you have Brady leaving, going to the NFC, and it's the questions are can he do it there without Belichick? That was kind of the focus last year. All right, but he did it. So now this year well, it should be about Rodgers, and it well it, this year has been about Rodgers. But for but not the is ring. this the swan song season? That's been it's been about Rodgers. He's made sure it's about Rodgers. Yeah. But the I think if he loses, if the Packers lose over the next two weeks the attention turns to that. It is, okay, he he sure. could only get one. How much of a disappointment is it that they didn't get more with him? Um, and he's also received the benefit of the doubt from Green Bay management, um, uh, from, from the outsiders. The, the, the focus has been on the management of Green Bay and how they didn't put enough weapons well, around him. He's done a him. good job def- creating that which Tom somehow didn't do as well, or we all knew it. But usually that would be an anticipatory story, not after the fact how disappointing he didn't do it, but how disappointing it'll be if he doesn't do it. Well, from a team achievement standpoint, if Rodgers and the Packers don't win a second Super Bowl, they are the Atlanta Braves of the 90s and early 2000s. And everyone that followed the Braves or follows baseball would say very successful, not great. Not great to only win one World Series in that stretch of winning all those division titles. I viewed this era of the Packers the exact same way. Well, for Successful, two of them fun to for only the fans, get one ring each. Great player, only one Super Bowl, not good enough. Well, take the whole thing. Combine Favre and Rodgers. Two rings the whole time? Well, and the other for part that of it. Era? That's look crazy. at look at the other conference. You know, the Green Bay has been at the, the top of their division most of the years Rodgers been there. And on the flip side of things, for over a decade or two, nearly two decades, you had Brady, you had Manning and Roethlisberger competing for the – you had to go through that slate, that gauntlet, and then also through the Ravens' defense to get there. So – and I'm not trying to downgrade the other quarterbacks, but I mean – But how many Matt Ryan making a Super Bowl isn't – to me, that's not the same type of gauntlet as – trying to go through what the AFC had to for it's Brady right. to accomplish what he did. It's Be a good there point, more not just, and win more. Yeah, not just winning it, but he, they it. should have been to the Super Bowl more 
uh, without with while dodging Brady, Manning, yeah, right. Roethlisberger, well, those Cam organizations. Newton's getting there, mm-hmm. and San Francisco. Could, could they beat off. San Francisco, beat Green Bay Garoppolo's on their way to the title, getting there or the, to contend for the title when they lost to the Chiefs. Um, all interesting questions going into the divisional round that set the stage for what's going to be a fun weekend coming up. Paul, we're going to do some audio investigating. Listen, the last home game, I believe it was the last home game, had an annoying fan near the press box. Dolphins? Yeah, this is kind of a Zapruder film audio. Zapruder audio. This is like the Nixon tapes. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to hear. Except it's very unclear. It may, this may fail. I want to see. At first, I want you to just relate to what I endured and what I may endure on Saturday. Then I want to see if anybody could piece together what the hell this person's saying. This is Outkick 360.